morning, good morning, <clears throat> throat clearing, the subtitle. Um, my name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. That's where you leave the browser today. That's just where the browser sits. Um, powerful week. You know, this is the humor show. This is the fun show. This is the off the beaten track show. This is the, gee, what, what tweaked your thoughts this week, Andrea? And of course, of course, like clockwork and so expected those who would, who would destroy us those who will sacrifice their children in the name of ludicrous, testosterone-fueled machismo, once again, attempted to hijack everything that is good, everything that is wonderful, everything that is pure and explorable, the roots of growth all around us were once again stopped in their track by an act of Arab terrorism. And those of you who follow the Israel news, Israelis listening in, Jews listening in, friends of Jews and Israelis, friends of morality, adherents to that which is good and healthy and nourishing for your children and your communities, know about it. We're equally shot. A brazen, a brazen shooting, shooting they're not allowed to have guns, and there's a reason they can't carry guns. All stolen. Four innocents eating at a hummus restaurant. You know, the famous chickpea dip. People with dreams. Three young people and one middle-aged man. Four funerals. Four families decimated. And just like a stone in the water, the ripples of this destruction will continue for generations in the families that were indeed targeted this week. I'm not going to name the names of the perpetrators. They will get no airtime. What's interesting is when I put this show together, very often I try to kind of uh, call my sources and suddenly it dawned on me that I'm not going to cull news from CNN or from Haaretz. I'm having problems recently with a purportedly and historically pro, pro-Jewish values outlet. So when I get something, it is coming from Indeed purely Jewish, friendly, loving Israel sources. So just know that once again, families in Israel are sitting Shiva because once again, the enemies of peace, the enemies of morality, the enemies of anything decent, the enemies of any healthy future for themselves and their communities have been given latitude and done what they do. On the flip side, apparently, I think it was last night, an Israeli drone uh, struck 
targeted. They don't like when we use the word. Suddenly the word targeted killings is out of favor here. I don't know. Works for me. Thank you. But anyway, an Israeli drone last night struck and killed three Arab gunmen in their car in the northern West Bank. That is scary stuff, this drones. But I have to tell you, as long as these drones are working on the side of protecting Jewish lives, let them do their thing. They're miraculous and they're wonderful. I want to live in a country. I want to have a government that puts me and mine first, that ignores the cries of the liberal West and hand-wringing Europe and very concerned and disappointed Washington, D.C. Expansion? We expand our settlements? No, we embrace and with humility, we accept our inheritance. And it will not be at the hands of strangers that we say, okay, we'll sit on it. Because you, oh, temporary public personalities have something to say about us. Um, Let's see. Yeah. All right. So let's just, before we get onto that, somebody, again, I go back to this subject a lot. All right. We're going to get off of that. As I said, on this station, on this glorious, holy station, there are people, beautiful hosts, fabulous, well-informed presenters that really do help stimulate the thought. If something that's being said on this show is making you uncomfortable, don't do anger. Sit in the discomfort. Drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and say, gee, Andrea, I was really, first of all, say, I love the show, and then say, Andrea, I was very uncomfortable when you said, and we can open up that discussion. And if I ever refer to anything, whether it be Torah talk, whether it be something in the news, whether it be a recipe, write to me. If you want to know more, I will send you the source. I will send you the link. Again, I heard somebody say to me this week, um, they found prayer hard. And I wish that I could say that I didn't understand, that I couldn't relate. Gee, they find prayer hard. But I'm going to help anybody listening in this morning. Oh, I forgot to add. First of all, let's have our romper room moment. When I say anybody listening in live and certainly on podcast, but this morning we have with us um, the U.S. is listening in late at night by you guys. Uh, Boketover at Israel. South Africa is with us. Had a lot of contact this week with my friends in South Africa. Canada, thankfully. I don't know what I would do if Canada wasn't with us. I really, it's like I count on you. You're my anchor. India is with us this morning. Very nice. And happy to see Jamaica with us. Okay, so all of us who pray. And as you join us, we'll, we'll give you a shout out. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is hard. Our lives are not growing less complex with food processors and air fryers and the internet and refrigerators that do everything, chop and dice. The only thing they don't do is drive the children to school. It's all becoming so complex as we look for ease. There's so many things to do other than take a moment out and pour our hearts to a deity on some days, we're not certain 
is listening or even gasp there? Thank God. Thank God. I don't struggle with that part. However, finding the time for prayer is so, so difficult. And yet I'd like to give you just a thought, something that helps me. Imagine for a moment the most powerful human being, the most powerful human doing in the world is available. You get a note, you get a WhatsApp and it says so-and-so, whether it be, I don't know who they are. I mean, I hope it's not George Soros, but I mean, it could be maybe Warren Buffett wants to sit down with you. Maybe the Dalai Lama. I don't know. Mother Teresa is not with us anymore. Maybe it's, it's, it's any of our great rabbinical leaders, anybody that you think, gee, I would love a half an hour. I would love 20 minutes to have his ear, listen to his wisdom, but more importantly, share my heart and get some words of guidance. Will you sit and say, no, I have to do another crossword puzzle? Or, mm, 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 I need just one more cup of coffee and I promised I would change the oil in the car. My gosh, if that person had time for an audience with you, you would drop it all, you'd grab a washcloth and you would run and grab those 15 or 20 minutes. Warren Buffett, the Dalai Lama, Mother Teresa, Bill Gates, Bibi Netanyahu, we just go on and on and on. They'd get my, tw they, every one of them would get 20 minutes with me. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be He, opens shop. His door is open to us. And for us to say, prayer is too boring. Prayer is too tedious. Being offered this glorious, incomparable experience, not just once a day, several times a day, at pivotal points in the year. This is an opportunity that we shouldn't squander. And there are no rules other than to be present. And so that is why today's show we're going to talk about price versus value. Who am I today? What can I be today? But I'm just saying as we start this beautiful day, sunshiny in Israel, and a day that's filled with hope and a blank canvas, let's give a little thought to prayer and how those beautiful gates are open just for me and indeed just for for you. Okay, when we come back, we're going to speak about ambivalence, um, being numb, and how we ourselves can be more present. See you on the other side.
Okay, we're back. Andrea Simmental, wait a second. Let me just complete the caffeination for the morning. Mm-mm-mm. Um, somebody wrote to me this morning, so a, a, a new acquaintance, I, I meet wonderful people in my work, and she asked me, I'm just looking, I'm opening up the message, it was really very cute, um, she asked me what the show is about, <laughs> pull up a chair, and I was thinking we could... <laughs> We could have a hundred different names for this show. I mean, we don't have an umbrella topic. So I wrote back to her. I said, well, you know, I think it's world events, Israel happening, Torah living, things that make me laugh, questions we should be asking ourselves, and ultimately how it all relates to the Parsha. A real mishmash that is reflective of my mishmash life called Pull Up a Chair with Andrea. I'd like to know if you agree. Would you say, would you give it another another definition? I just feel that we get together, and even though it's this kind of anomaly called cyberspace, um, again, so much in this world can be used for the good as well as the bad. And I think that something as sterile as cyberspace may feel on these Thursday mornings feels very personal, very warm, very connected, and um, thank you. Thank you for listening in and thank you for sharing the podcast. Um, have been doing a lot of interesting, I don't know, I think a while ago I told you that I had been involved in a medical study on Parkinson's disease. Thank you, God. We have no markers in my family for Parkinson's. And I was accepted to be, um, is a word, a, a, a test someone, you know, without the markers. For this study and I found it very very fascinating and consequently uh, spoke with my doctor and I went recently to the Holy Share Tzedek Medical Center and had a two-hour meeting with a genetic counselor there and the findings the study the blood tests that are going to be it's really something that I'm doing for the sake of my children and they're also getting their father's information and it gives a very nice roadmap and things are changing because I had pursued this like in 2016 and um, there really wasn't a lot that they could do in the world of genetic exploration for the lay person without testing you know my mother and um, so that's sort of where it ended but what I found most fascinating and consistent with what we do together on this show is the amount of time that this genetic counselor spent with me, uh, it was at least an hour and 15 minutes or an hour. Let's say it was an hour. English is not her first language. She spoke in, in beautiful, lightly accented English. Was drawing charts and graphs, even as my mind was wandering. You know, a lot of X's, a lot of circles, a lot of arrows. And I said to her at the end of our meeting, I said, you do this, you do this meeting, you do this about, I figure, seven or eight times a day. And she said, yes, uh, four days a week. She does this, gives the same speech, gives of her time, the holiness, the intensity of this work. And I thought to myself, if only we could open our eyes to one another. I suddenly started to think about 
the street cleaner who sees them. And yet how our lives are blessed when we do see them. Another experience last Friday morning, I needed a few fill-in items for the Sabbath. I was starting my cooking and I didn't have this and I didn't have that. And I really didn't want to put anything on the credit card. The credit card is moaning. The credit card is weeping. Okay. I keep waiting to see my mugshot coming up on the, uh, the, the, the checkout lady's screen. So I had only a certain amount of cash with me and I tried to stay within that, um, Ms. Garrett, within that framework. As I'm getting designer crackers, uh, it had to be Dijon mustard. I could only have Dijon. It couldn't be the standard Israeli. And in front of me, taking a lot of time on the express line, and I was instinctively getting annoyed. It was an elderly Russian couple who were arguing because they had understood in their very limited Hebrew that the shampoo they wanted was on sale for eight shekels less, which is approximately $2 less. It wasn't even an expensive brand. And the, rush, the Arab checkout teller was explaining to them that there was a minimum purchase of 100 shekels in the grocery store in order to receive the eight-hour, the eight-shekel discount. And she was, the wife was explaining it to the husband whose Hebrew was even worse than hers. And I looked at what they were buying. It was a package with two chicken legs, one beet, and one kohlrabi. And I realized that that eight shekels was another, another half of a meal for them. But what if I hadn't noticed? I would have stuck. I would have been stuck in what was familiar. Woof, they're taking time. Woof, this is express. Woof, let's get moving. And you know what? As sad as it made me feel, I knew that my life was richer after opening my eyes to someone else. Let's do that. Let's together open our eyes and say, who am I today? Am I a compassionate person today? Or... Am I just filling up earth space and whoo, seeing who else is annoying me? Okay. So I just wanted you to know that that was, okay, I'm looking, I was going to actually read you my Shabbos menu, but then I thought, nah, I don't think so. If you want to know it, drop me a note. I'll let you know what we're having for Shabbos. Um, two shocking, two shocking articles out of New York and anybody living in New York knows this, but the problem is it's not shocking. It was a disturbing, a terrible video came out of the New York City, um, some of the New York papers yesterday, that there was a bloody subway uh, rampage by uh, somebody. It doesn't matter who he is. Let him be nameless. He was stabbing and checking and it actually slashed a woman very badly. But that's not the shocking part. The shocking part, or please God, let it always be shocking, is people looked at their phones no one helped. She began screaming, someone call 911, and there was no one. They just appeared to go about their business. 
At the same time, they also had a stabbing. Uh, now it's becoming the, it used to be the most beautiful um, Washington Square Park uh, down in lower Manhattan near Greenwich Village. And a 35-year-old man was stabbed to death, stabbed to death in broad daylight. Okay, 4.25 p.m. No one called. Okay, everybody ignored him. Oblivious crowd. That was what they they talked about. Oh, the Russian Federation has joined us. Hi, Russia. Let us continue to be shocked. Let us continue to be disgusted. Because the day that we become part of that oblivious crowd, it's the kitty. Look it up. We're not going to go into it now. It's the kitty Genovese uh, syndrome. As she was being butchered on a Queens, New York street, over 40 people heard her begging, her screaming, her crying. They shut their windows. So just wanted to share that with you. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a woohoo moment because we're running out of time. Of the, so listen, there's a magazine. What's it called? It's called, uh, can't remember, oh, it's called The Travel. It's a tourist blog. It's apparently very respected. And I'm sorry I'm laughing. Tel Aviv has been listed as, drumroll, the happiest city in the world. Now, I've been there. It is a very happy city. It says a rich cultural heritage, friendly locals, a whole gamut of opportunities, food, shopping, learning. But this wasn't the line that made me laugh. The line that made me laugh, of course, you know, they talk about how open it is and how gay friendly it is. That wasn't the yuck for me. Um, but it said that Tel Aviv is a very happy place to stay and an attractive location for raising a family. I, <laughs> who could afford it? I never, I want to meet anybody listening from Tel Aviv and is raising a family. Please tell me what you're doing for a living. Write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And, um, yeah, let me know and let me know if there's an opening at your place. Okay, another, before we go to our break, we're going to come back and talk beautiful Torah. But I did want to, I meant to mention last week, I'm giving a shout out. They do not know me. They do not know they're getting a shout out. There's a cafe here in Jerusalem called Zarifa, Zarifa Cafe in Katamonim. And that, please God, I'm going to hit Blineda this week. Apparently, they have a, a refrigerator, a large industrial refrigerator filled with food. And the only requirement is that you take it. At the end of the day, they put in their excess food. They say, if you have food, please bring it. And um, it really got such a beautiful response on Facebook. And that's really it. He doesn't, so just so that he doesn't throw it away, and then suddenly it was triggered, some of the guns, the ganim, the nursery schools here in Israel, also um, are now bringing their food. They serve a lovely meal, a lovely dairy snack to the children, and they don't want to throw it away, and it's being brought there. So I just thought that that was a lovely, lovely, I'm just watching the clock here to see what we're doing. Okay, when we come back, Let's talk Torah.
And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. This is my favorite section of the show because, frankly, this is this is the part where um, I think we really do add a dollop of holiness to our existence, existences. Uh, but before we go on, there was just one thing I wanted to. It's not funny. It's not funny if you're the tourist I'm going to mention. But apparently, don't just think that those camels hanging around the old city are are harmless and cute. And, oh, gee, they're dangerous. And recently, a well, we have Canada. I wonder if you had heard about this. A Canadian tourist was completely, I mean, it was just this random, a camel bit, bent down and bit the leg of a Canadian tourist here in Jerusalem. So just know, you know, be careful. Don't just think, well, I know my father of blessed memory. He was very, he was really one of these guys who, he was a very old fashioned marriage and my mom was in charge of the house and the children. And he went back and brought back the income. You know, what was it? He brought back the bacon, but it wasn't bacon. It was kosher. But um, he never let, he was very, very opposed to my mother either purchasing or people gifting us as young children books where the protagonists were animals, talking animals. You know, he would have had something really terrible to say about the Berenstain Bears because he felt very strongly that children should be warned, that animals have to be, they're not our buddies, they're not our friends. We have to treat them gingerly and learn how to interact with them. Chatting up a fox or, you know, having a one-on-one with a snake was not a very clever idea. So anyway, be careful when you go on these camel rides, stand back. And I didn't know this, that apparently in 2018, there was a law passed in the state of Israel. Don't say that the show is not informative. Camels are tagged, just like your dog, with an under-the-skin digital ID chip. And the owners are held criminally responsible for their animals that are involved in road accidents. I wonder what's going to happen with this chip guy. All right. Let's go on to the Parsha. So we do the Israel Parsha. Sorry, I'm adjusting here. And here in Israel, I know last week we did Korach, which was is, I believe, being read around the world. But Israel is the center of our Jewish heartbeat, and that's what we're going to talk about this week. And just to review, those of you who are not that familiar, and I'm going to try to use the English pronunciations. So anyway, just to go over the theme of this week's Torah portion, um, it, the story involves Moshe, uh, Moses, Aaron, and the Jewish people, and the rock. And we know, but to be frank, this is a very, very puzzling, uh, and a puzzling episode in our tale. The portion describes also the death and the burial of and the mourning for Miriam. Miriam, we know, is Moses' sister in the wilderness. After nearly 40 years of wandering the desert, you know, the story is coming to its dramatic, well, not dramatic climax, but the purpose, the ikar, the point of what all this wandering was was about. And the Jewish people suddenly had no water to drink. So what did they do? They did what they do best. They began demonstrating it as an errand. Um, you know, they started to say, you know, they, they, they existed. 
But you see, where had they gotten their water? They had existed in the merit of Miriam all that time. And this was eliminated upon her her death. So the people, they quarreled with Moses, saying, we wish that we had died together with our brothers before God. Why did you bring God's congregation to this desert? So that we and our livestock should die? Why did you make us come up from Egypt to bring us to this terrible place? There's not even any water to drink. Familiar story, no? Moses and Aaron, they move away from the demonstrators to the door of the Ohel Moed, the tent, where they fell on their faces either to pray, according to some commentators, or to appease the demonstrators, according to some others. God then commanded Moses to take the rod, either his or, according to some of the commentators, Aaron's, I don't know, I don't know, and to assemble the community with his brother Aharon. God commanded them to speak to the rock in the presence, literally, quote, before their eyes, close quote, of the Jewish people, Although Rambam, by the way, translates the phrase to mean speak to the Israelites regarding the rock. Let them know what a great miracle is about to occur. Okay, so they're told that the rock would give its waters, thereby allowing the community and its livestock to drink. We know what's coming up, right? As he had been commanded, Moshe took the rod from before God, And he and his brother assembled the congregation near the rock. And what does Moshe shout out? Listen now, you rebels, shall we produce water from you from this rock? And with that, Moshe raised his hand and using the rod, struck the rod twice. A huge amount of water gushed out in the community and their livestock were able to drink. We know the scene, even without Cecil B. DeMille and Charlton Heston. We've heard it. We've seen it. God said to Moses and Aaron, you do not have enough faith in me to sanctify me in the presence of the Israelites. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly to the land that I have given them. All because, all because he struck the rock and didn't speak to it. So the Rambam maintains that Moshe's sin was manifest in his, his rage when he burst out. Listen now, you rebels. Moshe, our beloved Moshe. He was supposed to be the role model for the people, for the people that he led. And when the Israelites saw how incensed and enraged Moshe had become, they began blaming themselves, thinking somehow they had angered God by their request for water. Because for many of them, rightly or wrongly, Moshe was synonymous with God's rule, God's blessing, God's giving, and God's taking. Rather than perceiving Hashem as a compassionate father who would be responsive to their most basic needs, they began to think of God as an angry, cruel deity 
The chet, that sin of anger, both as a personal character flaw and as a distortion, a, 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 a bastardization of the perception of God. This represents a kind of rebellion against God, his desires for man's behavior and his trust. Again, back to the Ramban, however, he rejects this approach and focuses instead on the fatal error Moshe made in stating, shall we produce water from you from this rock? Rather than attributing the water extraction to God. Whoever benefits from holy things is called a trespasser by seeming to represent who the ultimate source of water was. Moshe and Aaron temporarily gained the benefit to their own reputations. Thus the divine accusation, because you trespassed against me. This is what God is saying. The seemingly innocent substitution of shall we, me, Moshe and Aaron, for the more correct shall Hashem was all the more significant in that it tended to undermine God's effort to gradually wean the Israelites away from the idolatrous notion of the power of human sorcery and magic. Remember, everything that has taken place so far in the Midbar, in the desert, is for a lack of better word and leaning on the low-level human understanding, miraculous. If we want to call miraculous, that which God does, indeed. So the approach of the Ibn Ezra, um, he, he takes both Moshe and Aaron to task for their undignified, unstatesmanlike reaction to the Israelites' grumblings about the lack of water. You know, rather than assertively taking action, taking action, what do they do? They fled to the entrance of the tent and in a, in a, in a manner they fell flat on their faces, and this conveyed that they were at a loss for what to do. And it seems to be a form of, according to the Ibn Ezra, a self-denigration and helplessness weakened. And this weakened the people's confidence. Why are they falling on their faces? Rashi maintains that Moshe's sin indeed was hitting the rock instead of talking to it. And that has always been my understanding, certainly in my early education. Had he spoken to the rock as commanded, the Jewish people would have recognized their profound obligation to follow Hashem. If a rock, which has neither the ability to speak nor hear, fulfills God's word, emphasis on the word, how much more so must they, hearing, talking, thinking humans, made in B'Tselem Elohim, the image of God, follow the word. And therefore, the action of Moshe, it was a lost opportunity to impress the people with this important lesson. But again, we might say, but really, or as they say here in Israel, Bemet, Moshe, he did so great. Everything he did, can't you cut him a little slack? 
a person selected for leadership takes on an enormous responsibility. Life presents us all with frustrations, challenges, tension, and ultimately choices. The leader under pressure from a quarrelsome nation, quarrelsome, that's a nice adjective for us. The parent under pressure from a difficult child, a teacher under pressure from an uncooperative student, Moshe and Aaron, the nation's leaders, responded to their crises with excess, deep feelings of despair, extreme, aberrant anger, name-calling, physical violence. And they suffered painful consequences. Finally, we have to address the still puzzling role, though, however, of Aaron in this affair. I mean, we always understood Moshe was supposed to speak to the rock. He hit the rock. He behaved in an extremely unholy manner when he had the starring role in the eternal lesson of connection with God. But Aaron? So perhaps, just a perhaps, the answer lies in Aaron's failure goes back to our stories. Listen to section two of today's show. Aaron's failure to intercede when it became clear that something was going on, that Moshe the leader was having difficulty in dealing with the Jewish people. Aharon was widely admired for his peacemaking powers, his ability to reconcile the most difficult situations. He was what we call an Ohev Shalom, the Rodef Shalom. He was a lover of peace and a chaser of peace, always trying to get the arguing parties to resolve their differences and become friends again. God instructed Moshe to assemble the Jewish people with his brother Aharon. It was a team deal. The seemingly unnecessary identification of Aaron might suggest that it was because of their sibling relationship that God wants Moshe, wants Aaron at Moshe's side to be his confidant, to be his advisor. Aaron appears sadly to have failed in this task. And consequently, he suffers equally with Moshe with those consequences. How often, just a thought, that how often a person who is able to deal effectively with problems and conflicts between strangers becomes paralyzed and ineffective in family matters. Rav Moshe Feinstein of blessed memory, he notes there's a paradox inherent in the para aduma, the red heifer. Because the red heifer, what was this, this? It had to be perfect. It had to be pure. It couldn't have just a few stray black hairs, a little white spot under the chin. The rarest of rare. We should understand that the, the name of this parsha is called Parshat Chukat. And I always get nervous when I get off notes, but I'm just recalling from memory because chuk means laws. And the beauty 
the thing that differ that differentiates between Torah laws and man-made laws are man-made laws are subject to I mean everything is subject to interpretation but man-made laws are subject to change um, sometimes for the good very frequently for the absurd as we are seeing in the world of woke I need not go on you know the rap but a hook in Judaism, in Torah, is God said it, na'asev nishma. God said, and I will do. If we come to a deeper understanding, the Torah, Torah study is all about that. We sit, we parse year, year in, year out. We go to classes, we listen to Torah lectures. Men will so frequently, ideally, if they're not in full-time study engaged, they go to at least one class or have a partner with whom they study each week um, to each year, sometimes study the same laws again and again. It's not a matter of, I read what Gone with the Wind. I know Gone with the Wind. Why do I have to read it again? The Torah is not like that. It needs to be read and parsed again and again. And with each new friend and each new character and each new study partner, we come to sometimes glaringly different um, outcomes. And it's a beautiful, actually, that is the fountain of youth, Torah study. So here we get this point from Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. And the reason I mention it is because the red heifer is a very difficult concept to understand. And we're not going to attempt it on this modest, although blessed program. So it had the ability to purify the unclean, but to also defile those who are clean. So he applies this rule in a spiritual sense to every single human character character trait. He says, and this is a quote from Rabbi Feinstein, we must be humble where our own interests are concerned, but we must zealously defend our neighbor's honor. In so doing, we serve God with the two opposites, with humility, by being oblivious of our own honor, and with pride, by vigilantly guarding our neighbor's honor and dignity. I love that. It's also followed by, and I want to know your thoughts, and all of this is really, as I call it, from the Torah to your table. like to know your thoughts, but it really makes for a richer, more meaningful Sabbath meal. We're only given one blessed 25-hour period every week to shut the phones, shut the noise, shut the static, shut the silliness, and engage in all that we have and all with which we've been blessed. So these are all concepts that we can bring to our Sabbath tables. So Rabbi Zelig Pliskin, in his book, Growth Through Torah, I do, I don't have the page number, but I can get it to you if you want. So he looks at the mitzvah, the commandment of the red heifer. I had to bring in some red heifer stuff because it's so hard for me. And I figure, hey, if it's hard for me, maybe you can help me. Anyway, he sees an ingredient of the Jewish concept, and we talk about it so frequently, the ahaftalareachakamocha, um, loving your, what we call, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he cites this commentary of Rabbi Mendel of Vorki. So Rabbi Pliskin explains 
that the priest who was involved in the purification process, again, as Rabbi Feinstein brings down, he became impure himself, impure, by the same process that purified the person who came to him. So Rabbi Pliskin brings down, he says, when someone loses out on himself in order to help someone else, that is the ultimate ahava, the ultimate love for one's fellow man. A person who isn't willing to make sacrifices for other people is always going to find reasons why it's too difficult for him to do acts of kindness for others. Helping people takes time, takes energy. So frequently it takes money. But when someone truly loves another person, he feels pleasure in every sacrifice. And I use that word in quotes that he makes for him. The greater you love someone, the more sacrifices you're willing to make. Therefore, the test of your love for your fellow man, indeed, yesterday's stranger, is the amount of sacrifices you're willing to make. And a person who's not willing to make any sacrifices is showing that he lacks love for others. Indeed, I implore you to at least do your Googling, download Rabbi Dessler while you're at it, Rabbi um, Eliyahu Dessler for more on this. Okay, so let's see. Let me, I'm just watching the clock here. Ho, 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 ho. Let me just see where we want to take this so we get our inspiration. Um, yeah, here we go. So we'll put this away. That was like a little much, I think. Um, no, not that. Stay with me. Okay. We'd like to keep this show real, right? Um, yeah, so just, I think in closing today, let me just think this. I think often, you know, often there are people who can indeed, you know, you have to say, um, well, he doesn't know. He wasn't given the gift to know. And yet there are so many, certainly I know in our Jewish community, and this is painful for me to say, so many, well, actually there are so many in the Torah observant community, just as well as there are those in the non-observant community. We're so busy pointing our fingers at another and talking about how primitive, how lacking, how naive, how silly, how wanton. I can just go on and on. They have a lot of these uh, lists of adjectives in the back of these uh, self-improvement books. But I do think, at least speaking from a place of Torah observance, that I'd like to just share that there are people, our people, who in a spiritual sense, they aren't alive. They're wounded. Indeed, they're hurting by indifference and ignorance. And Torah Judaism doesn't have any meaning for them. Their interests, their mundane interests, what stands supreme? The material comfort. And that beauty, the intensity, the what I call the fountain of youth, of quality, of Torah living, sadly, it doesn't have any meaning for them. We can pull language from this week's Torah portion because these are people 
that we refer to as spiritual tamayim, spiritually impure. And on the other hand, there are those who have that blessing of good fortune are giving a Torah education and upbringing who value the examples, who accept them and live by them. They are called spiritually tahor, spiritually pure. I don't know about you, but let's together this Sabbath clean up our acts and grab on to some of that purity. Shabbat Shalom. Mivorach from Jerusalem.